It's called the MacGuffin Report. Movies, TV, American culture. You in? From LA, the MacGuffin Report. Produced by Inclusive Media. Yeah, originally, when we had planned this episode, we wanted to know if we thought that Fleabag could resonate with American audiences. Now, on first glance, you would think, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, British stuff plays over here. Uh, but I don't know. It's British humor is tougher sell here, right? Because usually what we do is we take um, the thing and we just remake it. Yeah. Right? Like even famous stuff like Sanford and Son is a remake from British TV. Um, the Office, of course, was one of your more famous ones. Friends. And more recently, Veep was one that was based on a show called In the Loop, starring Peter Capaldi, uh, which he won a bunch of awards for. But And that even had the same producer. But here's the thing, and I was thinking about that in terms of... Uh, reference to this show is that and The Office we were talking about this on Facebook and I rewatched all of it yeah Yeah. where where British humor the the most popular ones Faulty Towers stuff like this it has this element of cringiness right Mm -hmm. like British love these comedy shows where the main character is just pushed into a corner and just made to feel small and humiliated and, and as whatever. uncomfortable as possible. Yeah, they really love that yeah. humor. Like they I mean, I saw this uh poll, I think it was taken in about 2005. What's the greatest British uh TV show of all time? And number 1 was Faulty Towers. And I mean, that's the ultimate for that is this is a guy who feels oppressed by God, <laughs> literally, you know, because he's so like everything is against him and You know, he feels so crushed and all that. So in this respect, this show is going to be a hard sell because really this show is about her cringiness. Um, I felt a big comparison to Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Mm -hmm. Um, if only because, you know, it's independent woman, um, really forthright and whatever. It's supposed to be on her. But as much as I liked Maisel, I like this one a little bit more because for for me, Maisel is a lot more colorful. So wonderful to look at that show. And, um, you know, the main character is a lot more independent. She's a lot more American. She's a lot more headstrong and and I'm going to be an individual and I'm going to make it on my own and all this kind of stuff. Um, very, I don't mind standing out. And of course, British is all about not standing yeah. out, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, again, because we don't want to be in that uncomfortable, squeamish position, yeah. right? And so, it, but on the other hand, I liked this one because it stays focused on that character. There's one thing I can't stand about Maisel is it's ostensibly about her, but they spend so much time on these supporting characters we don't care about. I like this one because it's about her. Mm-hmm. It, the the thing is about her, and if you like this character, and this character is very likable in my opinion, really smart, really witty. Uh, I kind of like that uncomfortableness. I kind of like that repressed feeling of British comedy. So I like this one. And I mean, I'll tell you this: I think that the whole secret of this series is in that first monologue of episode one, because by the time you get to the punchline, you understand what this whole series is about. <laughs> The punchline of that, do you remember what it was mm. the, after the first monologue? Because she's talking about she calls up the guy on Tinder or whatever it is in Britain, and then he comes over and they have sex, and there's that big moment, you know, where the thing happens. And then she says, and then you ask yourself one question. And then she asked the question, and you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> because it's like such a mind blower. And that's how the whole series is going to go, right? It's going to be in your face. It's going to defy expectations. And it's going to be raw mm-hmm. in a way that American TV shows aren't. So will it succeed? We'll see. I'm sure we'll have a cult following because there's some of us twisted folks that love all British humor like that. Mm-hmm. So, But um, I liked it. I thought it was well done. Um, interesting enough show. I really like it. Um, I'd been watching it. I started watching it, I think, a week before we talked about watching it even. Um, I watched it because, well, there's a combination of things. A couple of people that um, I really, some of my friends that I really respect, like, or at least I really 
I do respect them. <laughs> Not that I don't. Um, <laughs> I appreciate their taste. Like we have similar taste. Watched it and recommended it. They're like, oh my gosh, this is like the my favorite show out there right now. And I was like, okay, maybe I should give it a shot. And then Instagram got me with the ads and like they showed a little <laughs> bit of season two. And I was like, I didn't even have the audio on. I was just reading the captions on this video ad. And I was like, oh, this writing's pretty sharp. So I ended up checking it out because it cost me nothing because Amazon Prime, yay. Um, well, that costs money. I'm not going to say it cost me nothing. Um, I, yeah, I don't know that I can speak for mo- American millennials at my age because I, too, enjoy the British humor. <laughs> I, too, enjoy the cringiness. I, too, understand the not wanting to stand out. Like, you know, don't st- stick out like a sore th- thumb. That's kind of part of, like... It's kind of part of the Asian American thing too. <laughs> um, don't make trouble for yourself; yeah. it'll come to you. Um, wh- whether or not it'll resonate, I don't know. Maybe, but I like that there. Th- this show isn't trying to stand stand up on a soapbox of mental health, but it brings those issues up, and I think that's a great thing for people my age. That you know, mental health is important, and it does get all of us like at some point, and whatever you need to do to talk about it, like just watching it to relate to it and being like, yeah, life is that hard. Having some sort of like way to commiserate just takes a little bit of the edge off at least. And to be able to bring up like those topics of like depression, suicide, anxiety, I think is a really, um, is a nice important feature of this show. That being said, um, this show is clever. It's funny. The acting is great. Um, The characters that they bring in are you know, you despise them, but you like them too, whether or not it's because you despise them so much that you can't help but like them. Um, Andrew Scott comes into season two, and he is Moriarty in the new BBC Sherlock. And um, it was hard for me because he plays such a maniac as Moriarty. It was hard for me to watch him be a love interest. Yeah, I won't spoil things, but half of the time I expected him to break out and like murder a bunch of people or something. <laughs> like he's such a he's normally he normally plays such maniacs. Um, I listened to an interview that he did for Fleabag. I think it was with SAG, but he was talking about this chance that he got to play this. He knows Phoebe Waller-Bridge, the um, creator, showrunner, lead actress. Um, from the theater days. They both did theater together. He plays his character in the theater run for this, I believe. Is it? Might have to fact check that. But um, they're good friends. And she was like, would you be interested in this character if we wrote it in the show? And he's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, But he loves that he's now getting to play this very, like, more cerebral, like, you know, heartwarming character as opposed to, like, a serial killer or a psychopath, which is normally what he's cast as. <laughs> so I thought that was that was very interesting to see. Like I kept I kept waiting. I was like, he's gonna burn something down or something or snap, and I'm waiting for it. But he well, does. if we get Benedict Cumberbatch to do a cameo, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, yes, I really like this series. I I binged it over the course of a few days, and I was like, I wish there were more. <laughs> mm. So this was yeah, gets the thumbs up for me. I thought okay, so aside from the breaking of the fourth wall, as as, a, as far as like her character, I just think it's whatever. I, I don't know what the series. It, the series is just obviously it's about her, uh, but I, there's to me in my mind, I'm like okay, well, what, what's the point of the series? Um, going back to the breaking of the fourth wall, I know like knowing what she's trying to do with it, there's no really way around not breaking the fourth wall because she's trying to say. Hey, um, on the outside, I'm saying and thinking, I'm saying this, but on the inside, I'm really thinking this, you know, and there's no way really to do that without breaking the fourth wall. And I thought that part, uh, after once I, I kind of got over the breaking of the fourth wall, I thought, okay, you know, this is, this is interesting. It's, it's, it's funny the way, you know, she's going back and forth and she's actually really good at kind of like breaking character, going into herself and then coming back into the scene as, as her character. She's actually really good at that. But overall, as a series, I'm just like, eh. Like, because I don't know, for me, like, there's nothing kind of that sets it apart. Well, no, no. Mm-hmm. Let me rephrase that. There's nothing about the situation that I'm like, oh, I got to check this out. Like, it's just to me, it's, and I, I'm totally oversimplifying and overgeneralizing, but it's just a, a single girl who's trying to, I guess, trying to find love, but she's sleeping with guys and she's going through these different things of like her booty call or a guy that she just met. And she just wants to get laid. And so she 
goes with the guy with the bad teeth and, and just kind of, you know, <laughs> these things come up. And then her sister, who she describes as really beautiful, when, when she came to the screen, I was like, oh, she's not that good looking. I don't know. This is really weird. I don't know if she's joking. So because I didn't think that the sister was that attractive, I thought, is she joking or is she just not describing her sister properly? I, I don't know what. Um, but for me, like, the cringe humor, I can I like it to a certain degree. Like, I hate to bring up this movie example as an example again, but in Love Actually, where Mr. Bean is um, rapping Mr. the gift. Yes. <laughs> and, and his he, and the guy, he's, he's buying this for his mistress, but his wife is just somewhere behind him and he needs to hurry up and get it wrapped and he's like putting every he's little... He's like putting potpourri yeah, and like wrapping the box in inside a bag, putting yeah. it in another bag, putting exactly. more potpourri yeah. and dried flowers. Like to me, like that kind of cringe stuff, like yeah, I'm okay with, but like a lot of the stuff where it's really cringy, I'm just like, oh, okay. It makes me uncomfortable. Like and so the British I get stressed office. Out. Yeah, I get stressed out. But I mean, this show, I don't know. It, it's not, it's not something like, oh, I can't wait to watch. And I found that with Amazon TV shows, not just this one. Uh, Absentia, Stana Kotick is in it. And I love her. She's from Castle. That show too. I was like, oh, like I wanted to like it so much. I wanted to like Hannah. I really wanted to like her, but they're all just kind of like, eh. Yeah, I kind of felt that way about the Tick. Like the first couple uh-huh. episodes, I was like, "Oh, I, this this is fresh writing," and then I kind of I didn't stick with it, obviously. But it, I think they're trying. I I feel like they're trying to be like Netflix, where they're like, "Hey," or HBO, where they're like, "Hey, we're gonna be hands off. You guys are the creatives. You guys do what you want. We're the numbers people. Just go ahead, do it." And it's not working out very well for a lot of these. I mean, it works for HBO, but not all the time. Well, they're all the same. Look, one of the main things so you watch these things and you realize that look, there's no crowd scenes in any of them. Mm-hmm. Now, now, that sounds like a trivial point, but the reason why they don't is because they don't want to pay the extras. They yeah. don't want to pay union stuff for mm-hmm. this. So what you get is a lot of shows where it's six characters, 45 minutes with six characters. There's three different sets. There's always two people in the shot. You know, I mean, we even saw this in Umbrella Academy. They I was all, just saying this is Umbrella Academy. They all look like that. Yeah. The, the thing about this one, though, the amount that you like this show is going to depend on how much you like the main character. Because look, it's like Rachel just pointed out. She's the writer, star, director, and co-producer of this mm-hmm. thing. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a thing about her. And it's not even like Maisel in this respect. I mean, Maisel is a bit of an exception because that looks like they have a budget for it. Mm-hmm. Okay, they actually put some, some thought and stuff into yeah. that. But Maisel is scattered. You know, this one is just focused on that main character. It's almost like one of the nice things about this Netflix, Amazon streaming thing. It's almost like um, they're stripping it back to the old days when you had something like Black Adder, which was five guys standing around in a room insulting each other. You know, there's some you can work with that. It allows you to concentrate on the character and on the script and everything like that. It looks super minimalistic, Mm -hmm. but if you have compelling enough characters, you can pull it off. Again, like uh, Kim's Convenience, which we talked about recently. That's another thing. They should be taking advantage yeah. of this sort of low budget, let's not pay union, let's not pay for sets and all that stuff. They should be taking advantage of that and just put it in the one thing and have six characters and be done with it. Um, I think this one takes advantage of that scenario. Yeah, so, there, uh, there is that. So, so yeah, I mean, if you like this character, you're going to love this show. Yeah. Because, again, it's stripped down like a Netflix show or an Amazon show. So in that respect, it's good. Now, for me, it didn't blow me away. But it was decent. I mean, for some people like Rachel, it blew her away. Great. Yeah. I mean, it's a great show for her. It's it's probably smarter than the average American show, too, because most British shows are. There's something about me where I need to be watching, like, a British show just because, like, I'm just used to watching, like, British, Irish, like, cinema. So I'm just like, I need something, like... If I don't have like, oh, I finished The Office, like I need to watch something else. So oh, here's Fleabag. Um, but in the Loop, have you seen In the Loop yet? No, not yet. I recommend no, it. Highly. I want it's to though. Great. Um, but yeah, like the first couple episodes, I was like, eh, all right. But like, you know, so and so, one of my friends like really loves it. I'll, I'll push on, and then I did, and I was like, yeah, I really like this character. Um, season two, like yeah, the first episode of season two, I think is stronger than the pilot. Um, Parks and Rec, <laughs> uh, which season one was just, I skipped it because I was not, you know, I was not having it. But um, yeah, the writing's clever. I don't know that I would go as far to say groundbreaking and 
they've done something completely brand new. Um, I don't know that I saw that. I just really liked the relationships that each of the characters have built over the first season. And then you kind of get to see that hashed out. It's really interesting because like she, during season one, she's totally dysfunctional, like addicted to like addicted to love, addicted to sex and everything. Just like going through a whole self-destructive period just because of spoiler, like because her best friend, like, you know, tried to hurt herself and ended up killing herself and it's her fault basically which you find out um and then in season two she's actually made some progress they like there's a whole there's a little bit over a year that goes by season in between season one and season two and she's made progress she's in a healthier place um I don't know if she's been like seeing a therapist or whatever but like her cat her business her cafe is doing really well she's happy um, and she's seeing her family again for like the first time in a while after like a big fight with her sister and stuff. And um, they just they throw like all of these scenarios. It's almost like a bottle episode where like they trap them in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They, they eventually do leave. Um, but like the storyline and the relationships that they've developed between Fleabag and like Olivia Coleman's character, which is kind of like the evil stepmother, um, the dad who is just a bumbling mess and like the creepy brother-in-law character, (laughs) like all of that kind of comes to a head and they're like, you know, and just kind of like explodes like it's supposed to, um, and I just, I just enjoyed, I thought the characters and relationships were really strong, so... I just I just wanted to say in two things really quick. Thanks for bringing that up. Olivia Coleman is in this series. Right? So yeah. that's a good reason yeah. to watch it. She's fantastic. And also, I got to say, just on a gut level, I hate the name of this show. <laughs> Seriously, do they really have to call her Fleabag? Can't they? She can't have a name? I mean, it's a small nitpick, but that just <laughs> really, I hate Is it because that. it sounds like Phoebe? No, it's just what it. It's just maybe an it's ugly the, it's, thing maybe to it's call from the play. somebody. It's I mean, it must, be, it must be a self-deprecation thing. Yeah, it must be like, oh, just call me Fleabag or something. Yeah. There must they, be, they but don't really still, explain it, it's, do just, they? it's ugly. Not no, that I know. It's, it. ugly. it's a nickname that she had when she was growing up. Oh, see, poor girl, poor girl. That's just uh, terrible. In, in the second season, are there more are there colors? In, in in the uh, in the scene, have you been to London? No, there it's London. No exactly. No. no, it's London. No, because because of no, that. No, because hope. of the fact that it's the first two episodes. It's she. It's not like she's um in a in a good place in the first two episodes, and then did you talk, they talk about her friend, and then the whatever cafe that she runs is like gray. Yeah, the homes are like gray, and like but, the, yeah, the yeah. designs gray, and I'm like, I didn't feel. I felt like. You wanted to leave? Yeah, I didn't want to be there. Um, and I love London. I don't like their, you know, like I don't like all the gray, but like I, I, I like London a lot. But I felt like if it was more like, let's say, if it was a primary colors in in the in the backgrounds, and then juxtaposed with her kind of like, because I don't I mean I don't know if she's in the first episode. I don't. I can't say that she's depressed, but it's manifesting itself in in a variety of ways, and it's very colorful. So I thought it'd be nice to have a colorful, like a the primary color type thing to kind of to to show the the contrast with with what's going on. I don't think I would have bought it though. I think well, that's, that's the thing about Maisel is that it's colorful because it's fun. And yeah, she's, yeah. She's an extrovert and she's being a comedian. And she's American. Well, because, yeah, yeah. She's American. For me, you know? Like her, like when she breaks the fourth wall, that's when like all these like in her in her voice the colors come out, and I'm just like, it's so drab, like. Uh, and I couldn't really like get into get into the whole thing, you know, because but I did when I was watching, I did think, oh, there's something here, but right now it's not for me. Mm-hmm. Like it, this isn't something like I'm gonna be like, yo, you gotta check me back <laughs> out because <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is right now. Uh, yeah, her Korean accent is fantastic. yeah, it's on point. Like, God. <laughs> uh, but I don't know for me, yeah, it, and I know this sounds sexist because I am. If there was nudity, I think I would have received it a lot better. Because then at least there's something to look forward to. If the if it's not working for me, like oh, there's nudity. Okay, that's cool. Like I'd be know. on HBO if there were nudity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, I don't know. I it's just. But I I, I kind of like her, like the the not the character, but the actress. Yeah, I like. like I kind of like her, like because at some scenes she's that stereotypical British, like, not terribly attractive and not terribly ugly. In the middle, but then some scenes she's actually really pretty, 
And I don't know if that like was intentional. The, there's or, like a funeral scene where it's like everybody's complimenting how good she looks, but she's like, my mom just died. I don't want to look good today. <laughs> like, Yeah, I don't, so I don't know <laughs> if it's intentional or if it's the lighting that they just, or makeup that they did that day. But there's, she's definitely, for me, one of those girls that in different scenes and different lighting, she just looks different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. For me, it's just kind of, it's almost, I guess, too much for me. And so, but I will try to give season two a shot, but I'm, I can't promise that I'll watch the rest of season one. Yeah, I'm, I, I would say give season two a shot, but I mean, like, it's given that, like, you're not into British shows. It's it just remains very British. the The colors in uh, the first episode of the second season are a little bit warmer, uh-huh. but from my memory, like the rest of the season, it stays it stays pretty gray. But I mean, yeah. like with it's like a spy thriller. But do you, you know? like <laughs> without any of the thrill or the spies? <laughs> if you've ever been to England, though, like yeah. those are the colors yeah, that you see, get. The, like I don't yeah. think that I don't think that English people would buy it. Yeah, but, but, you know, but my favorite British show had a, my my favorite British show has a lot of color. Benny Hill. There's a, there a lot of color in the negligees oh, that they that, wore. That's that meme <laughs> of people running through the different doors. Yes, the, the Keystone Cops. Yakety Sax is the name of that song, by the way. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. It's got to look like England. It's. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I always say that every movie that's set in Italy is substantially improved just by being in Italy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same with England, but in reverse. I mean, you said anything in England is going to be more depressing, just automatically. But I mean, that's that's yeah, part of I, the thing. And to me, that's part of the repressive atmosphere, to yeah. be honest. Like, there's no... You, you know how in English we have this expression, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel, or I can see daylight, or, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. It's like, not in England. No. Not in England, you know, and that's part of the point. And that's there where their no that's where their the sarcasm the comes right. from. They think we have no sense of sarcasm. <laughs> Review of Deadwood, the first episode with this question. Is the Western a pillar of American filmmaking since the birth of cinema dead? I say no. Um it's just gonna take it's just like uh I guess successes or successful or decent slash decent Western films. This is going to be far and few between. Uh, I think the last one, I can remember, if I remember correctly, might be Unforgiven, the Clint Eastwood yeah. one. But there was Tombstone. That was really good. Um, Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> no, that was not really good. I, I, no, I wanted it to be good because of the concept, but I watched it and it was, no. it was trash. Uh, and then uh, I think like a modern day Western, which I've, I've talked about before on, on our show, is Justified. Who also, which also stars Timothy Oliphant. Um, I, I feel like Deadwood prepared him mentally for Justified, um, but I don't. I don't think it's dead. I, I think there's always going to be room for for westerns just because of that that style, the the visual style of it, like the kind of like you know uh, the gun toting uh, the atmosphere, which we kind of have now. We're starting to get back into now. Like you know, with Florida, Texas, Arizona, where it, it's it's pretty much normal to see people walk around with guns. It's it's. I have a friend that lives in Arizona. He was coming from Nevada, where um, Nevada has an open carry policy, uh, and businesses are still allowed to turn people away with guns, but a lot of them don't. <laughs> Good luck trying to do that. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> but my friend said the first time he saw someone with a gun, he was taken aback. Then when you move to Arizona, he's like, dude, out here, uh, people for fun, they go shooting. It's like oh, yeah. a normal thing. So it's normalized for him, you know? Whereas for us in California, that's not a normal thing. <laughs> like, you know, um, and I'm not saying that to judge Texas, Arizona, or Florida, even though I do, uh, th- this is more like, we're just going back. We're going backwards. We're going, and I think the Westerns, if they made a Western now, and they, sh- and then they did like a passive-aggressive, subtle like direct message to people that carry guns that like, hey, look, anyone, it's not just the intended that's going to die. Other people are going to die because people don't know how to shoot. Mm. You know, and, and, and a target is completely different than a live person. But so I, I always think the Western is going to be, I, I feel like it'll, I don't know about come back necessarily, but I feel like there could be more uh, down, down in, in the works just for if they get a good story and then it happens to be a backdrop. Like not like where the, the main heavy lifting is going to be the Western. It's just going to be like, oh, I got this sto- great story. 
set during those times and it happens to be in the West. I, I think that could, something that could happen. Deadwood episode one. Yes, I saw it. Okay, I, I tried to watch this when it first came out. Like, so it came out with 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that was a while. Yeah. yeah. I could not get into it. It was just too dense. The material was so dense. And I think Milch was, David Milch was like, I'm going to have everything be subtext. And so I'm watching, I'm like, what? I had to rewind. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what? And like, I would get lost. And I'm just like, whatever. Uh, I, I'm like, I can't get into this. So I thought, hey, I'm 10, 15 years smarter now than I was back then. I thought maybe, you know. Hopefully. Yeah, it'll come. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> That's always been the dream. Yeah, you got to. You yeah. got to put That's that always been the dream, right? There, yeah. And so I'm watching it and I'm like, it's, it was, it's not as dense. Oh, I, I didn't think it was as dense as it was when I, when I first uh, saw it. And I'm, me being a fan of Oliphant, I was like, oh, okay, this would be cool. The one, uh, one of the casting notes I had was they had, Keith, is it Keith, Keith, David, Carradine? Keith Carradine as Wild Bill whatever. Wild Bill Hickok. Yeah, I thought, dude, you look like someone's grandfather, the way they, the way they dressed him up. You don't like his Captain Hook I, wig? I, I, <laughs> I actually thought what would have been better is if Oliphant played Wild Bill and then uh, Keith played uh, Oliphant's character. That would have been more accurate because yeah. Wild Bill Hickok didn't live past 39, I think. Or and, thir- and, 32, and 39. just hearing the name, even if you don't know who he is, just hearing the name Wild Bill and how they set up his, his, his presence, you know, I thought it was more fitting for Oliphant to p- play him. Uh, I'm sure they had, you know, they had the reasons for casting Keith, uh, whatever, whatever they may be, but I'm watching this, I'm just going... Well, yeah, because he used to do Western. Yeah, like, he did I Kung Fu, right? Yeah, yeah. Which was a Western. No, his brother did. Idea. His brother. Oh, did that's it. right. Yeah. David. But like, yeah, I, I thought, right. like, I was like, nah, I, I, I just, yeah. And so and it was. It was <laughs> no, they made him look like Buffalo Bill Cody. Is the thing because the that's one, how right? Cody looked, right? Okay. Cody was the guy who he was at the end of the Western era, uh-huh. and so he made the rodeo. Right, he went on a touring show with Annie Oakley and a couple okay. other famous people because you know their lifestyle was going out, right? And so Cody was the guy, and he played himself like this dandy. He had the long curly hair yeah. like that. Now I don't know why they wanted to make Hickok look like that. You know, probably yeah. because he was, you know, they could show he was a dandy and whatnot. But this is always a problem with westerns: is that they glorify this stuff. I mean, did you notice how? how clean everybody was in this series, for example. I mean, you know, everybody looks perfect all the time. White stay white, even though you're surrounded by dirt. I mean, nobody's drunk, or at least people that are drunk, they're still, like, sober enough to stand up. I mean, they cleanse it so much that it's like... I don't know. It's just, yeah, Yeah. I don't know why they dressed uh, Carradine up like that either. Because, I mean, I, I think if they dressed him up, because um, Carradine, I think can, can he can he can pull off like kind of like a badass guy. He does have the gravitas for it. Yeah. I was impressed sure. by that. Yeah, yeah. but it's he looks so mild mannered, mm-hmm. and it's I'm just like mm, you know I don't yeah, it's just I don't know it, it's very dense. And then I don't know because I watched it on HBO now, so I don't know if they dropped the resolution. But it looked like <laughs> the show was made like in the late '80s or yep. late '90s, just the way it was presented. And I don't know if they, they dropped the resolution or not. And it sucks having sensitive eyes. I can tell 720, 1080, and 4K. I can tell all that. So I don't know. It, it was just the whole experience. I was just like, eh. When I found myself getting up, going to the kitchen. I mean, it's in the <laughs> same room. But like, I found myself doing that and then uh, coming back down. And I was like, eh, you know. Uh, I wanted to like it. You know, I, I want, I mean, like, it's, it's from the pilot, it seems like everyone's in there. There's all these people that are like uh, well known actors that are in there. Uh, but I mean, Ron Swanson's in there. Yeah, like I mean, like there's just all these, and I, I'm sure if I watch the entire series, I, I might feel maybe I'll feel better. Like oh, it's good and stuff. But I don't know. I don't know. From from one episode, from one episode, the pilot, I can't say like, yo, guys, I gotta go home right now so I can watch Deadwood episode two. Like I can't say that. I almost would rather watch Fleabag season two episode one. Oh, I would. Yeah. Then, oh, Deadwood season, then Deadwood episode two. Oh, no question. Ian McShane. So Ian, that, okay, so Deadwood is my first introduction to Ian. Um, oh. I thought he, uh, I know he, I know, because I, I think I saw snippets of him later in Deadwood. I was like, oh, this guy's really good. But I remember in the first one, I was just like, yeah, okay. Um, he, what, what Ian does really well, and I, I, it's noticeable in the John Wick series, is that 
he's very he can just chill deliver his lines without having to yell and the way he projects the way his face is it's like oh okay this guy's serious he means like, business yeah we're not gonna mess with this guy like and physically he's not intimidating at all but he has his presence the the best example of presence i can give is there's a, a indian actress older woman named shoray and i think last name starts with a she was in house of fog with ben kingsley she played his wife she was sitting in the waiting room no one knew who she was Everyone was like, who is that? She's beautiful. She's amazing. She hadn't said one word, <laughs> but it's that presence. And to me, Ian's got that presence that like, he just says one thing. And it's like, oh, I, I better listen. Like, I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> you know? Like, hey, nobody move. Okay, guys, don't move. Why? Because Ian said don't move. <laughs> <laughs> it, he's, he's got this thing. And um, I think, yeah, he, he's, he's really good. And I think this is, this is the show that kind of uh, people were made aware of him. Uh, in America, like they're like, oh, this guy, you know, he's 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 good. And he, after this, I think he started getting work left and right. Just got, started getting cast for a lot of different things. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit too dense for me, and it's not the, the show's not made for me. I, I like uh, more. Uh, if you're gonna be like, this is to me, it's too much subtext. Um, I don't know that I would say the western is dead. Um, we have shows like Godless coming out. We just had uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by, I think it was the Coen Brothers. Yes, um, On Netflix, which is a series of vignettes, and each of them are, they're all Western stories. Um, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, and like I'm, I love Godless. Uh, so I don't think that it's dead. I just think that I was doing some research, and I, um, I, it, it seems like there's a general consensus in media journalism that westerns can be a little bit pricier because you have to build the sets mm. unless you want to share like yeah. back in the good old days if they're shooting a wedding across the street like oh shoot we better go over there yeah. and use their uh, cake this one they actually filmed in deadwood though did they, actually they? filmed it in the oh, proper wow. deadwood yeah and actually is that in santa clarita i know a lot uh, of it is uh, in santa South clarita Dakota, oh, okay they okay. actually and um deadwood is one of the few places in the country outside of uh, Las Vegas or Atlantic City where you can gamble and because the whole town is like this tourist thing right mm -hmm. the old town the western town and this series really revitalized uh, everything there brought the mm -hmm. tour now the tourists go to see the old best show and then here's what they shot uh, you okay, know okay. Deadwood okay. so so and then you know the casinos filled up again so, yeah, so it was yeah. a boon for the town but yeah okay. they filmed it in actual Deadwood so okay I'm, less building yeah I'm wondering because like the well, the research I was doing, this might have been later seasons or something. I don't know. How, did they do four seasons, was it? Before they canceled it. Yeah, they just had the movie mm -hmm. released, um, a feature film. Uh, same cast and everything. Um, they, I was looking, I was listening to an interview for the movie, actually, and they're, they're flashing back and talking about shooting the TV series, and they were talking about how a lot of the script was written, like, that day. So on the call <sighs> wow. sheet... All of the actors would get called in. All the extras get called in, and you sit in your trailer, and you don't know if you're going to be shooting that day. You get, you know, you go into hair and makeup, all of that, get into costume, wardrobe, yada yada yada, like your whatever 4 a.m. call time, um, and you <laughs> wait there until you know the PA comes and gets you and says, "All right, we got you a scene." You learn your lines and you go for it. Um, I just remember hearing in the interview they were like they had they they'd worked on like. You know, as an actor, if you're preparing for a character, if you know your backstory, you know your character, like the back of your hand, like you can get pages that day and be like, okay, I got this. Um, so obviously, like this this cast, very skilled, all very experienced. Um, they were able to go in and do that with full faith in David Milch to write mm -hmm. that day. And then he would be writing as they're shooting, thinking, oh, no, I actually want this to go this way. Give uh, them new pages right then and there. You know what? That might be why. That might be why when I watch this show... I don't know what's going on because mm -hmm. the actors don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, like th that very reason what you just said is why Aaron Sorkin got fired from the West Wing because mm -hmm. he was delivering pages the day of. Mm -hmm. And the actors were like, no, especially the way Aaron writes the first two acts, something's going to happen or something's going on. You don't know what, but it comes out in act three and four. Well, the actors, they can't do their scenes without knowing what without that the is. Without the context, yeah. They don't have that. Yeah. And so they were the ones who started revolting. Like, dude, what's going on? They were getting, and they weren't getting the whole script in day one of shoot. So there's seven days of prep, if you don't know, and there's eight days of shooting. They get the script on the first day of prep. They do a table read and whatnot, and the actors are supposed to go prepare. Whether they do or not is up to them, but they, they're supposed to prepare. 
on West Wing, they were getting the they were getting they weren't getting the script on the first day of shooting. They were getting eight pages, ten pages of what they were shooting that day. So they still don't even know what the story is uh, going forward. And so that might be why in Deadwood, when I watch it, I don't know what's going on because the actors don't know what's going on, and it's it's, it's being conveyed, and I'm just and I'm lost. Yeah, there were scenes where they, they were talking about like, oh, we need uh, Carradine today or something. Where is he? And they're like, oh, he's like at home. And it's like, okay, have him drive out to Santa Clarita where we're shooting. Like, Troy. we need him. Like, get him here. At, like, th- if, can he get here by three o'clock? Yeah, yeah sure. Like, okay, we have X, de- X like hours of daylight. Like, we got to shoot this thing. Ugh. It's just like total chaos. But apparently, like all of the actors, they say they loved it on the, on the press junket. Yeah. I don't know if they did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, they all like, they were all family by the end. But like, chaos though i'm like i can't imagine like that's tough that's so hard like especially um the woman that plays calamity jane that was her kind of her first on-screen thing she's a theater actress Uh she auditioned for this got it um she she shows up in the uh at the callback or i think it was a producer uh session in full costume that she'd rented Uh somewhere and like (laughs) then she booked the job but yeah like i can't imagine like being a theater actor expecting rehearse weeks of rehearsal yeah. to perform the day of like your pages were just written that morning saying like here you go like we don't have the rest of the episode flushed I, out but like here do this it reminds me of that old sprite commercial with three black guys they're like all like they're 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 uh, they have basketballs they're all like quote-unquote hip-hop and then the director goes cut and it's like Three three black guys that are like actual like trained actors, and one uh, one of them's like I played Shakespeare yeah. in Cambridge, and then <laughs> yeah. one guy goes, whoa, 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 "What's my motivation?" I feel like the actors in Deadwood are like, whoa, whoa, I don't, "This I don't get it. What's my motivation here?" Like, and that's a legit that would be a legitimate, legitimate question. question yeah. yes. <laughs> like, what, what, I don't understand. And they're like, "Oh, just go with it." And that's probably why I have no idea what's going on the show. <laughs> But um, as for like as for the show, I thought the performances were great. I watched the pilot. Um, did I watch episode two? I might have. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought the. I agree with you. The writing was very dense, but I kind of I kind of liked it. Um, you definitely have to watch it though. It's not something you can like be I don't know knitting on the side yeah, or something. You no. got to pay attention yeah. because there's things going by left and right. All the yeah, subtext. Yeah. Um, I thought the character development was really was really solid. Um, I I'm a fan of like western westerns in general just because it's like you're out there. There's no law. Like anything can happen, and you know it's every every man and woman for him and herself. Um, that being said, yeah, it was very dense, and I think I if I wanted something to really chew on i think that was that'd be like a show that i would go back to um but yeah like very dense i listened to a bunch of interviews with the um the creator david milchin that guy is like he's a brainiac he's a very intelligent very smart guy like he's he's talking about like the roman empire and things like that and you're like where is he going with this and then he ties it back in with the show and you're like oh okay like he has all of these he's i think he's a professor as well and he teaches um in addition to um, directing and show running and everything. Um, just very smart guy. But yeah, like I can understand why the language is so dense. He talked about how precise he is when he writes for, um, when he was writing for Deadwood. He was talking about how, you know, the Western is, you know, Westerns come out of like a post-Victorian culture where people are like fops and they're very well educated. But you get, you come out to the West where, you know, a lot of people like, very silent. You get the the silent cowboy that doesn't say a whole lot, but when he does, it's you know there's spring there's there's these complicated educated words sprinkled in there, and that's kind of where the the verbiage comes from. And he was explaining like how he chose um, the dialogue and how he wrote the dialogue in Deadwood, and I'm like, oh okay, I get it, I get it. Um, so that was that was really interesting, and be it'd be fun to work with somebody like that, but also like very nerve wracking though oh, to yeah. get your pages that morning, or to be just be sitting around all day not knowing if you're gonna shoot, <laughs> just be like on deck. Some fun trivia about Deadwood. Um, the word the the word is used over twenty nine hundred times. Yeah, and God, I want to talk about that. Sucker clocks in at uh, two hundred thirty seven. Um. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> okay. First of all, is the Western dead? I'm going to say, yeah, mostly. <laughs> like in Princess Bride, it's mostly dead. Um, <laughs> Great movie. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Look, when my dad was a kid, 
all right, Western was the thing, mm-hmm. right? Lone Ranger, right? They even they even still had a little bit of radio back then, right? So Lone Ranger was a big deal. Um, and on TV, you had Gunsmoke and you had, you know, all those kind of shows. They were on TV for like 15, oh, yeah. 20 years. Bonanza. This is, yeah, Bonanza. This is where you used to get your start. This is where Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and William Shatner got their start, right? Before science fiction came along. But... This got replaced. Mm -hmm. And I can even tell you exactly when the takeover was. Star Wars. That's it. Look, Lucas in that film is doing the same thing that Spielberg did in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's taking the conventions of the movies that he loved as a kid and putting them into a modern context. What are those movies? Westerns. Look, Star Wars is set on a desert planet. That's not a coincidence. Luke wears white. Darth Vader wears black. That's not a coincidence. Han Solo gets into a bar fight. That's not a coincidence. These are tropes from the Western. Now, ever since then, okay, the first big Western after Star Wars was uh, Heaven's Gate, right? This movie that has become synonymous with failure, right? This is like Ishtar. This is like a flop. This is Howard the Duck, right? This is floposis. Okay, and I think ever since Star Wars and ever since science fiction really took over, because, I mean, that was the beginning of the end. I mean, you got Close Encounters after that. You got Alien after that. You know, here come the big, uh, you know, Back to the Future is five years later. Here come the big popular science fiction movies wiping out the Westerns. And I also think, too, I'm going to get into some other movies in a second, but I also think, too, that... It's just that we're too sophisticated now, right? We know that these guys were not nice people. We know that we were killing Indians. You know, we know that slavery wasn't this plantation thing where it's like the owners were nice to them. We know the ugly side of this. And most importantly, we know that cowboys were like one to a thousand against farmers. Mm -hmm. Okay, the cowboy lifestyle is this rarity Right, they were the exception. And if you watch a show like Tombstone, you think everybody's a freaking cowboy, nobody's a farmer, nobody's a merchant, nothing. You know, mm-hmm. they got a couple of prostitutes, right? Because you can't have women being cowboys, right? But I think we're too sophisticated for this stuff. So now, when you get westerns, you basically get three types. You either get the science fiction western, like Wild Wild West. Remember that one with Will Smith and Kevin Klein? Ah, yes. You get that. You get Jonah Hex, which nobody saw, but it was like a DC superhero, but a cowboy, and he could talk to the dead. You get like crazy stuff like that, right? You get that, or you get something like the death of the West, right? Which is what you got in No Country for Old Men, which is what you got in Brokeback Mountain, Right. Not really Westerns, but cowboys, and it's all about the death of the West. Because I think that's what we realize. And I think that's what Unforgiven was about. Unforgiven, to me, is the last Western. And I think that serious filmmakers know this, too. Because what Clint Eastwood did in that movie was he deconstructed all the Westerns. And just like made it so that this is the end, right? This is going to be the last one. We can't do this anymore because I think audiences are too sophisticated. They just are. We don't buy that stuff. Now, whenever somebody tries to do a traditional Western, you get crap like that Johnny Depp thing. The Lone Ranger thing where he's like, (laughs) you know, some crazy Native American that bears no resemblance to any human that's ever existed on this planet, right? You, I just don't believe you can do a Western seriously anymore like that. Now, okay, here comes HBO. All right. I got a whole separate rant on this one. My favorite play of all time is a play called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead. Ah. Okay. There's this, it, basically, it's, it's, it's more or less a wormhole view uh, of Hamlet. Okay. And there's also a very good movie with Tim Roth and Gary Oldman in it. Yeah, there's this one part where they meet a player who gives this commentary on Elizabethan uh, theater, right? And that's this. Okay, what do we do? I can give you love, blood, and rhetoric. I can give you love and blood. I can give you blood and rhetoric. I can give you all three concurrent or consecutive, but the blood is essential. That's HBO. Every HBO series has to have sex, has to have violence, and it has to have gratuitous swearing. You have to have at least two of those things. Think of any show. Sex in the City, okay? You got sex and language. Rome, you've got violence and, and blood. Uh, you've got violence and sex, right? Just any of these shows, same thing here. 
in the first scene in the movie, you've got a lynching for no reason, right? And this guy is just sitting there talking and he's dropping in fucks everywhere. And it's so funny because it sounds like a kid learning how to swear. It sounds like they're just shoving it in anywhere because there's a minimum that HBO has to meet. And I'm so, I mean, like Game of Thrones, there's another one, right? Lots of blood, lots of sex. You, I mean, it's almost insulting that they think they can throw this formula at you and go, okay, we're going to put this one in Tombstone, Arizona. We're going to put this one in Roman Empire. We're going to put this one in uh, Young Ben Franklin, right? Star- <laughs> starring Kevin James, right? As long as we, I mean, like, okay, for example, I was watching this series, right? And for some reason, you know, I got about halfway through the first one and I quit. And then I started it up again. And it accidentally started me on episode nine, Right, just accident. What's going on? You know the way this one starts. This is how it starts. Guy gets out of bed with a hooker, goes over to the bed, pulls it out, and starts peeing in in the bedpan. That's the way episode nine starts. They stole that. They (laughs) stole that scene from um. What was the prison drama on HBO? Uh, Oz. Oz. Chris Maloney opening scene. He's peeing into a bucket. See. Who? This is no. This is just ticking the boxes of shock value. You know, seriously. I mean, I mean, it's such a slap in the face because this. The first scene of this show ends with the guy getting lynched, and of course, it's graphic as all hell, Mm -hmm. right? And that's supposed to be what you're hanging on for. Within 15 minutes, we get a guy with a bullet sticking out of his head. We watch him gurgle in his own blood and die, and then they throw the corpse to the pigs. This is freaking out of hand. <laughs> this is no longer storytelling. It's shock value, shock value, shock value. That's it. I mean, HBO, they're, they're like the new Skinamax. Would you be okay with it if someone said to you, hey, but these things actually occurred? Would you be okay with showing that? I'm, o- I'm okay with anything, but you got to put it in context. There's a reason why shock value, it works for HBO. You just, I, I, I want to know, I feel like you just don't like shock value for the sake of shock value. Well, of course. But I think there's a purpose for it in, in this show like Deadwood. There's a purpose for it because it draws, it draws people in and it lets people know this show is going to kill people off, is going to be gr- gross about it. it it's going to show that. That's their opening scene. How much more effective is it to open on something witty or something clever or something... You know, but that wouldn't be the decent. tone. But that wouldn't be the tone of Deadwood. If it was, if a, if it was a witty opening, well, it's a, I'm only basing this on the first episode. It, to me, it's not a witty show. So if yeah, it, was it sure like, isn't. If it was like a witty, whimsical kind of opening, it wouldn't go along. To me, that opening set the tone for that 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 uh, not only episode, but I imagine the rest of the series. Yeah, it's not a plot device so much as it is a tone setter. Yeah, yeah. that's what to me. That's what that was. Yeah, because otherwise, like I was like, there's this doesn't really teach us anything about the character if anything it makes the main character yeah, kind was of not like, likable yeah it was you know what that's exactly what i thought i thought Olafan's character is very unlikable why is he why is he not trying to save this guy yeah i thought i was waiting for it to be a joke like those guys would ride yes. off into the dark into that's the darkness totally and be like hey you can wake up now yes like, that's i thought what that I was thought gonna happen too. and i was like oh no he's actually but, dead when he's actually dead but then i thought I don't like this Oliphant character. Like, what, what's he doing? But then again, I, so I had to think. Remember in Tombstone when uh, these guys are coming out of the bar and they're fighting, they're shooting each other, and they, 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 they killed the other guy. And they go, it was a fair fight. Um, it was justified. Well, what happened? Uh, he made fun of me. And everyone's like, okay with that. Like, okay, cool. And I'm thinking, what? So the, the social mores were completely different back then. So I'm thinking the way that the, the, the lynching happened, he's like, hey, it's better that you die here than going with them. And that guy, it was logical for him. You know what? I don't want to kill myself, but you're right. It is better. Tell my son I love him. Yeah. And th- th- that's when I was like, oh, wait, this is real. Like, what's going on? And I thought, okay, so they're making a decision. They're both, they're both very hard decisions, but I'm going to kill myself because that's better than me going with them. And I thought, oh, this is, this is you know, maybe this is like whatever. This is just craziness back then. You know, I, I don't know. Because they had different mores, you know. I don't know. I, it's just weird times, mm. which, you know, side note, we might be going back to. <laughs> I'm not ready for it. I, I don't think any of us are, especially in California. We are not ready for an armed society, but that's 
things are things are looking that way. Yeah, I gotta sharpen up my uh, my target shooting if that's the case. I thought knife throwing was your thing. Oh, I'm I'm not that great at that. That's I'm at like a ten percent at least with shotguns. I'm about fifty. There's a my, 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 this guy I know. His dad's a kung fu master, and he says if someone if someone's gonna attack you with a knife and they hold the blade uh, on the upside like where it's pinning up, you've got a chance to, to beat him. But if he holds this, the knife blade down, just turn around and run because that guy probably knows what he's doing. Oh. And he's a kung fu man. He's like, this is, this is what he imparted, the wisdom he imparted on his son. That if you're ever in a knife fight, like, yeah, this, is exactly. this is what you do. Bring a gun. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> and I'm thinking either way, I don't care how they're holding the knife, I'm going to run. Like, there, there's no like, That's what's my chances? What's my chances of like beating this guy? I don't know. I'm going to be gone. Yeah, because yeah, you know what, to, what you were saying about Westerns, of how we're too sophisticated as an audience. Obviously, they can't do a murder mystery in a western because we're too sophisticated we know so many things about like because of csi and all those things like i don't think you can do a serial killer um whodunit in a western i think you can do a story about a serial killer but in terms of like oh we're gonna nab this guy no you're 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 chances are you're not gonna nab the guy because it's it's back then they didn't have any technology whatsoever they didn't even know what serial killers were it was just there's just multiple deaths. Well, that movie is just your the posse is following them up the trail, right? Mm-hmm. They've yeah, done yeah. that movie. There's been movies like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like it's you know the old timey car chase. Yeah, they're yeah. tracing the killer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really what it was. Yeah, really. yeah. It just took a long time. Yeah, and so, you can't really. I see the point that you guys are making. You can't really have a gunfight after watching John Wick no. three. Like yeah. watching yeah. them reload I mean, bullet again, by bullet again. when John Wick can change his magazines yeah. in half a second. <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds yeah. it sounds trivial, but yeah, I mean, That's... what about a movie about the Oregon Trail? And then because it's during the rail, railroad time, you could add yellow people. So that means like, <laughs> there you go. Because you know, please they, cast they, us, please. <laughs> This has been the MacGuffin Report with Rachel Wong, Oz Davis, Walter Hall, produced by Inclusive Media.